Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Wednesday, my dudes, July twentieth, twenty twenty-two. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. Look, look who's back! Back again. Say he's back. Tell a friend. Back, baby. I'm back. Hi, hi, how's it going? I feel like I haven't talked to you like at least face to face in over a year. It has been good. Spent ten ten days down OBX for my fourth of. For Fourth of July and my birthday, had a fantastic time, nice and tan. I got that that golden honey wheat going, baby. That's what it's all about. Relaxed down there for quite some time. Took took all the PTO in the world, and I'm refreshed. I feel good. The air is nice and thick. That grass is coming in. That staunch, thick, fresh cut, deep summer humid grass coming in. Smells like football. We got camp right around the corner. Slash already partially started. It's it's a good time to be alive, man. This is my favorite time of the year. Orioles are fucking slashing. You and RDT have an episode. All-Star Break 500. Incredible. Incredible time to be alive. Energy. I I didn't even, I was talking about this with Eric a little bit. I didn't even realize like how much I missed having like energetic, at at the very least energetic and like borderline and sometimes all the way competitive Orioles teams like this late into the year. It's been five years at this point and uh, it's been a fucking delight. And then to have that on top of them having the number one overall pick, that was a, a nice, nice little get together over Jimmy's the other night with uh, with him and some of the some of the boys getting a few beers, breaking down that uh, Jackson Holiday pick. Got out of there shortly after. I think we got even some Orioles questions in the mailbag tonight, so it's going to be a fun one. That's what we. That's where we want this podcast to be. The summer in Maryland, which is a question we'll get to. The summer in Maryland is just that much tastier when the Orioles are playing some fun, fun baseball. Future's bright. We'll get into that as well, but. Fired up, man. I mean, rookies are rookies are in that jungle, in that thickness. Condition tests going underway, and uh, people failing. We get to see who is a big fat fatty, and everybody Dude, you know laughs at and pokes fun at. Pray for the, those guys. Like you talk about July in Maryland, it is officially like mid nineties, like upper nineties, and then just severe storm season in the late afternoon because the heat is just absolutely wreaking havoc on the area, and those guys are probably feeling it. Hundred percent, man. I mean. It's like the classic trope of the 
the struggling artist reporter type to like go and stand there and like complain about how hot it is when you're like covering a football team that practices in August in anywhere in the United States, really. So I'm excited for that. Excited for like, oh man, really is, oh man, really crazy hot out here. All those comments uh, at camp, tons, tons of fun, tons of fun stuff. Um, I did have an accomplishment, personal accomplishment today I wanted to announce. I had to, there's very bad storms, obviously, in, you know, the central, central eastern Maryland region. And I uh, broke an axe halfway through a log today. That was, uh, that was my Kevin Durant, what are you doing to add to your legacy? Man, I popped that sucker right off. So there we go. Which, by the way, I think you might have been late to the game on that. I think he tweeted that like a week ago. And you kind of just yeah, no, discovered I'm gonna keep it. using that for a long time. Okay. That's going to be your new meme format. Yeah, that's my new format. I like that one. What did I do to add to my legacy today? I had two cups of coffee. That is pretty substantial. So you're you're coming off that smooth buzz, but definitely still not going to bed before before twelve o'clock. Well, what I'm doing is uh, to manage just the stress and the blood pressure coming in on the commute, which is just an absolute bear. Some of these days, I don't drink a cup before I leave, and then when I get into the office, I do. You know the little Keurig. It doesn't really have the doesn't have the bite. It doesn't have the horses in the back. No, it doesn't. But it you know it allows you to drink two of them. So I do one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. And we're just you know I'm living a substance uh, dependent and controlled life, and I will not apologize for it. You're drinking coffee responsibly. We'll we'll definitely say that. I have not. I've been hunkering down some cold brew sweet foams from Dunkin' Donuts and just tweaking for twelve hours. But here we are. That was uh, I guess that was catching up, man. That was. That was our that was our bit. We've gone off the rails early. Now we can get into it. Yeah, I, I'm glad that we got that out of the way because there is uh, some some good things to uh, discuss tonight. Um, you know, we could probably continue to do our positional kind of thing that we've been doing. We're pretty much on to the defensive side of the ball now, boss. And I did the offensive line, so we can do that tonight. We don't really have to. I was thinking maybe like we could get to defensive line at some point because we did get a lot of mailback questions. So we can kind of we can take this in any direction that you really want to take it. We have had some things happen recently too, news wise that we haven't really touched on. Uh, <laughs> the first of which would be uh, Lamar Jackson uh, going after. Uh, I'm, I'm calling him Bernie Pollard now. We're not doing Bernard. We're not having that. He's Bernie Pollard to me, and uh, he got put in a body bag by by our guy number eight there the other night, and that was uh, it was something to see. This has been like a, a thing that Pollard has been building his like media brand in like Nashville or wherever the fuck he is, like trying to like break out. He's he's figured out that you can latch onto Lamar Jackson and like you know, put all these crazy takes out there and get a lot of engagement. And it's just perfectly, it's this Venn diagram of that and this weird vendetta that he has and will not let go of with John Harbaugh and the Ravens organization. So he's been, you know, trying to build his name on that. And then Lamar, uh, the other night, he might've, <laughs> might've had a few pops or, uh, you know, done some other things. And, uh, he just, he finally let some frustration of, uh, all that being directed his way over the past couple of years, come out all in one night in just a hilarious feud, uh, I compared it to, uh, you know, World War Four, uh, where Lamar Jackson has nuclear weapons and Bernard Pollard has like sticks and stones. It just it, it didn't feel like a fair fight to me. It, it just felt like two guys on two different wavelengths where like a boomer trying to like talk shit to a Gen Z. This this like I don't want to say nihilist, but just this weird like Gen Z kind of sense of humor. It just it doesn't really match up. And I got to say, I think biased as I am, I think Lamar came out the winner. Lamar, you, this is why you know that Lamar came out the winner, obviously, clearly, and undisputedly, because he tweets 
four or a couple days ago after the fact, gets, you know, has a ton of fun in Jamaica, rips Bernard Pollard to shreds, who's been dogging him for years, is one of the leaders of the choo-choo. Lamar Jackson isn't that good train and always has been. And you can, I think, number one to sidebar, but you know that this Ravens team, things like the J.K. Dobbins comment, like, I'm going to be ready. What are you talking about? Only God knows what I've been doing. Like, the Ravens are on some biblical shit just because they went eight and nine or whatever, eight, nine, yeah, and last year and missed the playoffs. And now everyone's doubting them. They have not had this level of dog, underdog dog in the Lamar Jackson era. The receivers aren't good enough. You know, Ronnie Stanley hasn't played, blah, 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 all the injuries, everything. So I feel like we're really seeing them reach a point where they are so sick and tired of the hate that they've gotten. They're so sick and tired of being counted out after a tough season right in time. They're they're itching for football the same way they are. They want to prove all of those things. We're seeing it bubble over in quite a few instances, which I find very exciting and sort of dignitative to the franchise history. So I love that shit. That is what a Baltimore Raven is through and through. But Lamar dunked on Bernard so badly. This is the the peak level of shit talking where he goes back and says, at Crush Boy 31, my bad OG, after he sobered up, my bad OG, God wouldn't want me acting that way. I won't ever do it again, handshake. And then quotes a t- quote, just a quote puts out, not a quote tweet, not a picture, nothing. In quotes, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, James 5, 16. And he said, at be like Christ, 100 sent me this with with a little praying emoji. So um, when you bust out like God wouldn't want me dunking on you that bad, that is just the final nail in the coffin that you absolutely obliterated someone. Yeah, this is a great summation by Garnett. It's Black Air Force One season for the Ravens, meaning they are going to be undefeated in fights. Uh, so yeah, we got that and it, it just like the, that whole interaction. And then obviously the subsequent like apology, if you want to call it that I likened it to the tiger woods in front of the, the blue curtain apology, uh, which was just a disaster on all fronts, uh, and not genuine, um, obviously not one-to-one for many reasons, but it just, you know, it, it feels a little like it reminds me of, <laughs> and this might be a little unfair. It's more like humorous, but it reminds me of when Stavros Halkias was on PMT. And he said that the part of the reason I love Lamar is because he's just out of his fucking mind on social media. Like he just like, <laughs> he's like willing to go places that like other QBs are just not willing to go. And a lot of players are not willing to go. And it's, it's he's really himself. He's himself. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And it's, it's a roller coaster ride and it's a lot of fun and he's very authentic. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, if you are a Lamar Jackson as a running back person, Again, quoting God in an apology, like that is quarterback actions. That is what a quarterback does. And it's because God blessed them with an arm. Quarterbacks do have that special relationship with God. They are You have to be a narcissist to be an NFL quarterback. And they, th- they think truly I've been blessed by God because I have this rocket attached. So if you don't at this point think Lamar Jackson is a quarterback, you think he's a running back, this is how you know. Only quarterbacks like have this sort of apology and reference that way. Very, very tight-knit group close to God, NFL quarterbacks in general, because again, they were blessed with the, with the uh, Uncle Rico cannon to throw it over the mountains. So they just have that strong relationship. So that's how you know that really puts the Lamar Jacksons running back to bed forever. Uh, but I like this. I like Black Air Force one season. I love the way Garnet put that. And I'm excited. I think that's the kind of mentality as they head into training camp that they're all chomping at the bit. A lot of them coming off of injuries, haven't been able to like fully get on the field and do their thing in quite some time. And it's time. They're they're itching for it. So um, I'm pumped up. Probably 10 to 20 of them will pass out because they're having practices at 1.30 or later now, which is psychotic behavior 
on multiple levels, have, having them practice in the middle of the day in that heat is just next level. Like, I don't even know. This, what are you out in San Diego training for the SEALs? Like, this is some crazy shit. This, this training camp is going to be John Harbaugh's apocalypse now. Like, this is going to yeah. be like a, a disaster yeah. of a production. Like, there's just going to be like weird, like trips happening and hallucination. Like, he's going to be know. blowing shit up yeah. left and right. We don't know what the fuck's going on out there. It's, it's going to be Francis Ford Harbaugh. Yeah, it's going to be something. Francis Ford Harbaugh in full effect, definitely. And as we're, we're getting into it, I guess, I mean, just a huge year. We've talked about it. The pressure, the decisions, you know, if this year doesn't go well for one reason or another, then we could see a very different franchise, organization, team next year, all of those things. So uh, a lot going into this training camp, but it feels like nationally the Ravens are very far under the radar. No one really gives a crap. They're not shiny. They're not new. So I like that at the same time, and they can kind of drain out the noise a bit aside from just like only Lamar's contract situation, but they're not getting anything out of him. So, you know, who knows ultimately, but I'm um, fired up for this camp for those reasons. Yeah. And you also, you touched on it as well. We had another social media situation there with uh, JK Dobbins, uh, who it, it we had kind of heard whispers a little bit that he was the uh, farther one along of the two running backs who had torn their ACLs between him and Gus Edwards that Gus was maybe going to take a little bit more time to uh, get back into the mix there. And uh, our boy rap sheet, Ian Rappaport came out and uh, kind of refuted that. I don't know if he said anything about Gus, but he said that uh, JK was not as far along as people thought might not be ready for week one. I think he said probably not ready for week one. And then uh, I don't have the tweet pulled up in front of me, but JK took some serious exception to this. He had uh, some comments that included the words fake ass doctors and, uh, something about him and his relationship with Jesus, which I, I wasn't totally sure how that uh, related to the situation. But uh, apparently that's, you know, something to do with the fact that he, you know, he's on his own timeline and he thinks he's uh, ready to go for week one. It sounds like he wants to be ready to go for week one. Then Rappaport went back on McAfee's show and uh, he said, listen, that's totally fine. He has every right to come back at me, but like I'm sticking with my timeline uh, and what this source who I consider reliable told me. Was this, this was the source's doctor. Like. Listen, who could say rap sheets had a lot of Raven stuff over the years. So I'm not counting him out on this either. I, I'm, I'm sure he believes what he said, but it, it's conflicting reports. JK Dobbins going to be ready for week one or not. But uh, it, it was it was a true, as I said on Twitter, a source colon me situation for JK Dobbins there. OK, I'm tired of being quiet. Come to me for your source at rap sheet because I might not even go on pup because that's how good my rehab is going. And I'm damn sure going to be ready for week one. Um, so he might not go on pub because he's got that dog in him to start like camp, which I don't know. I I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that man. But again, I just feel like they're itching to get back on the field, itching to prove things, itching to win games, itching to make statements, all of those things. And I think teams like that, that if they can stay healthy, we'll get into the backs a little bit, a little later, but, um, if teams can stay healthy when they have that kind of attitude, that's where they end games. That's where close games they're the ones who stick the dagger in, in my humble opinion, when you have that kind of edge to you and you're that pissed off for greatness, you will will go get over that edge, I think, ultimately, or implode. And the Ravens don't implode too often. So I think this year I'm very excited for in general. Yeah, definitely. Me too. And uh, there is a, there is a certain chippiness to it. Uh, it just uh, it feels like a, a good good spot to be in, I think, if you're a franchise like this. And uh, it does feel a little characteristic of uh, – 2019 when there was a lot of uncertainty even still about what kind of player Lamar Jackson was going to be so there were a lot of people with their takes out there firing off this and that about oh this experiment isn't going to work and 
Jackson's not going to be very good. They don't have any wide receivers. It just, you know, with the comparisons to 2019 on both sides of the aisle within this fan base are totally overwrought at this point, but I can't help but feel like as of right now with their relationship to the national media, uh, at least as far as where people think they're going to be in the standings. And I think from the national media perspective, I think fairly so in some respects, it just, it feels like they're, they're, you know, poised to surprise some people a little bit. So that's very exciting. I think so for sure. And maybe they're not quite that 2019 team in terms of the perfect recipe to, you know, win 12 straight games, but they are, they're different. They're seasoned now. Like they've gone to the playoffs two times since that regular season. Um, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Two times since that, since that run happened of those 12 straight games and they've, they've got that edge to them. They've gone through some things. I'm excited, man. I'm very excited, but I guess we should head into the mailbag. Now I will pull up IG or do we have more news? We do have more news. Justin Houston. Uh, yeah, I think dude, uh, we might've touched on that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, back on a one year deal and I know that you're a big, uh, Jay Hugh guy. So what, what do you got on this? We can probably get it. We'll get it. If you guys probably touched on it earlier, we can get into it through the mailbag. So without further ado, we can kick it off. E Butterworth 07. When do y'all think we will get Gus back? Do you think he will still be a five plus yards per carry guy this year? So this is my thought that I kind of thought about earlier. I must tweet it. I wrote it down instead and in more detail. I basically reminded myself that I feel like there's a good shot, solid, solid shot that one of Gus or JK comes back and is pretty close to as effective as they were. Maybe not all the way, but I think one of the two, you've got to like your chances, one of them after having 12 months off, which is enough for you know a lot of ACL studies that they'll be good to go in that sense. And if you get one of them, you're in a very good spot running back room wise. If it's Gus, I mean, the short yardage thing, I don't think is ever going to go away. Whether he's going to be able to break it open the way he was starting to really progress in, in kind of flexibility when he was turning corners and how violently he was making jump cuts in the hole, hitting stuff, making basically creating explosive runs. I don't know. I don't, I, that's going to have to be a wait and see. You don't feel, I don't feel super confident in that one. We will have to see. So five yards of carry. I mean, it's a far cry from, from what he was doing at his peaks, uh, even being in like four or five, which is good in terms of relation to the rest of the running backs, in the NFL, that would be very, very bad for him. So um, very curious to see. I, I think if at nothing else, we see him maybe, after he can come off the pup in what week six, I think they made it now. So yeah. I, I think that might be the case for Gus. If I had to put money on it, that's what I would put money on just based on light little rumblings I've heard and how, you know, they did go get Davis for a reason. They did go draft Beatty. You know, JK does from what I've heard have a little bit further progress in terms of his recovery. So we shall see, but I think we see Gussie for a late run late. I think he needs to come on late if anything. And you know what your boy, uh, likes a lot he likes those fresh legs so the fresh idea legs. yeah the idea that uh you're gonna have gus edwards coming back week six or later with a guy like mike davis in the mix with tyler Beatty in the mix with dobbins hopefully back and healthy me likey that idea so i you know i can pretty much just go with what you've said because we kind of have heard uh the the similar things there and uh i mean this is a little bit of a reversal with what rap sheet is saying but i mean like i'm fine with either one honestly like as long as one of them is good to go i like the insurance they've got there Hundred thousand percent, my friend. Who would you like to see win left guard? Tyree Cleveland or Powers? Asks Zeem meets the world. Um, I'm going to tell you what. I want Tyree Phillips to win. I, I I like Tyree Phillips to win. I want him to get his shot. He almost got it last year. Immediately hurt week one against the Raiders. 
I think that he can really do some things. And I want to see what Ben Cleveland does through a long battle, hopefully throughout training camp. Hopefully they can stay healthy and then still not getting it week one. I want to see him really get forced to work, 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 work to show. And I would just like to see if Tyree can go do it. He has multiple years of experience in this system now. He looked really good in camp and preseason, all those things last year. I think Cleveland ultimately is a much higher level pass protector immediately. Uh, but Tyree Phillips was a tackle and is a better run blocker and, and probably will be, in my opinion, through camp. So I want to see what Cleveland res- or the way Cleveland responds in that situation. I want to see Phillips get a shot just for a little bit. You know, if he's not great, you have Cleveland, you're good to go. Powers, I think, is really an odd man out that they're going to try and deal. Um, wouldn't wouldn't be surprised by that. We've been saying that for years, but it just kind of makes sense considering what they have right now. Yeah, Tyree Phillips to me feels like a, a true hardball guy uh, in that he's got the work ethic. He's got the attitude. They seem to really, really like him. Uh, so I'm with you for all those respects. I mean, like he's a little obviously he's got some really like slow aspects to his game, which does hurt a little bit. And uh, I, I'd be interested to see what kind of offense they're even going to be running this year. Uh, but yeah, good run blocker. So if they are kind of going back to that ground and pound, he could be a good fit there for at least as long as they're trying to bring Cleveland along, if that is still the plan. But uh, yeah, I like the idea of Phillips kind of kind of having the nod as of right now, but we'll have to see what happens in camp. 100%. Timmy Leibs, what pass catcher are you most excited for and or expected to break out besides Andrews and Bateman? Man, um, I feel like your guy's going to be Tylen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he's definitely it at wide receiver. I just think he's a little bit of a forgotten man, especially for a dude who was literally getting like first round buzz at one point in his college career. Obviously, he didn't quite live up to that. But I mean, they got him as a steal in the fourth round. I think he's just sort of uh, he does everything really well kind of guy. He's not going to overwhelm you with athleticism. But I've had the take before that. I think some Ravens fans who maybe overrated James Brochet a little bit at times, I feel like Tylen Wallace is the guy that they actually like thought Brochet was. And who knows, maybe Brochet still could be that. So that he's exciting as well. I like Tylen at wide receiver. I'm excited to see what Charlie Kohler does this year. I have a little bit of a little bit of a hunch, a little bit of a Sessler, as our friends at the ATN pod would say, that uh, we're gonna we're gonna see some stuff from Charlie Kohler this year. Not super productive, but he's just another guy that's kind of quietly riding behind the Isaiah likely wave and he's just kind of there but he's got all the physical tools he's drawn some Mark Andrews comparisons and Mark Andrews another guy who just kind of quietly came out of nowhere as a rookie and was productive and then he turned into uh the fifth best tight end of the NFL according to Madden I don't know about breakout I just want to see Devin DuVernay touch the ball just a couple more times in this offense I'm looking for him to start somebody's got to make house calls in this offense J.K. Dobbins was that kind of guy You know, Hollywood, a little bit to that degree, was that guy, not as much as we wanted to see. Bateman maybe can be some of that. Andrews occasionally will rumble, but, you know, not hasn't done anything too crazy where he, like, busts a 70-yard touchdown lately. Um, All those things. But I want to see DuVernay break tackles, make guys miss, get the ball, you know, as a check down or a late read and be able to go make an explosive play out of nothing. As someone who is an all-pro kick returner, such a good kick returner, I just want to see it translate to what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's had a lot of opportunities. Has he had a, you know, a ton of opportunities? No, he hasn't. But he's been their number one screen guy, their number one jet sweep guy, all of those things. So I want to see him take it to the next level. Last year, he started to look a lot more sudden coming in and out of breaks. He was very stiff at Texas, very stiff as a rookie um, relative to the rest of his skill set. And I think we started to see T. Uh, Martin and Keith Williams work at that really well caught some slants. He looked able to open up quicker without, you know, giving it up as much, all those things. So excited to see what he can do. He definitely is at this point, probably 
you know, he's going to play some of that flanker where he's off the line. You use him in motion a lot anyway, uh, kind of like a, a Willie Sneed with some deep speed at times where they like to bring him in motion. But he's the one who kind of has to take the top off a little bit, aside from Bateman on the outside, unless someone else emerges or they make an acquisition. So very curious to see what he can do. He has had, I think, one catchable deep ball in his career over 20 yards, and it was against Pittsburgh in 2020 when they lost. He made that incredible diving play. Uh, Hand-eye coordination, hands, tracking. I like all of those things about him. Really want to see him get some run at Z, especially if they don't bring someone else in. So so that's definitely the dude that I want to see, and and it feels like he, among that group, really has a lot to make or break this season in terms of his NFL career. We'll have a lot of opportunity. Moving on, Otavio Molar. What do you guys think of Pepe Williams? How is his change of direction? Do you think he can be the starting slot corner? Pepe reminds me of Tavon. I mean, I don't think he's someone you want running downfield uh, a ton. I don't think he's got really like that vertical presence as a, a man corner, any of those things. But in zone, keeping plays in front of him, change of direction, very strong. He's a really good tackler, was a really good tackler at Houston at least. And, you know, is kind of that presence that can go nip someone's ankles before they know Um, that's about to happen. He has good anticipation. Seems like he's a a really smart kid and was in Houston's defense. So definitely could, could work into that. It's going to be tough. I mean, kind of depends. I feel like he'll get some run there and Brandon Stevens is probably going to match up against the bigger bodies. A lot of times, if, if the Ravens think there's a tendency coming in of them, another team putting a tight end in the slot or, you know, bigger receiver, those things, Brandon Stevens seemed to really be able to, to, match physicality with bigger guys last year in many ways. So I think those guys are both going to see some good looks there. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of one of those just like little water bug corners. It's kind of flitting around, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of flitting around. The, uh, yeah. I got something in my throat, uh, kind of flitting around the, uh, the surface of the, the water back there in the secondary, just, you know, being that little bulldog to your point. So yeah, I, I could very much see that comparison. Haven't watched a ton of him, but I do like the, uh, do you like the little, little, little bit of personality that he's shown on the social media? It's pretty nice. He's uh, getting in front of the camera a lot. He's making his presence known. Pepe, yes, Pepe. I, I'm a fan. Love it. Best South Park episode ever since all topics have been beaten to death by now. Asked Boss Hoss Double Zero. My favorite episode is Scott Tennerman Must Die. Um, I loved shit talking Cartman early to mid Cartman. I think that was like season, I don't know, season seven, season six, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, that's an older one. Yeah, that's that's probably my all-time favorite. Um, Santa Claus in in Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever the hell those episodes were, I love those. There's there's quite a few. So, But Scott Tennerman, Must Die, will always be my favorite. The there's man, there's a lot of good ones. There are some good old ones. I mean, uh, man, bear pig is it, it hasn't aged well <laughs> with the uh, the climate debate, but it, it's really it just gets me every time with the Al Gore stuff. I just I find that impression of theirs hilarious. Um, Casa Bonita, another good one. That one comes up. Casa Bonita, Casa Bonita is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, we we talked about that a little bit in the off season with Nick Benito. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, the dude, the talking of relatively newer ones, the Game of Thrones parodies are so fucking funny. Like those episodes, they really nailed those. The uh, the Red Robin wedding and all that kind of stuff. Like I thought that was really good. Um, and then I'm trying to think, what is that one where they go to like? the alternate reality in the air, hot air balloon. I forget exactly what it's called. Um, Remember the tri- What's the trilogy where they had to play the PSP? That's, is that the one you're talking about? I, that or might be it where it's like the, I, I've God, this is going to kill me. It's what it is. It's might be my Imagination favorite. Land? Imagination land. Yeah. That might be my favorite one of the bunch. 
that, that's what it was. It took me a minute. I like the the trilogy where Kenny was really good at PSP and it was like heaven and hell. Um, all of those, those are some of my favorites. I was thinking about fish sticks too. The Kanye episodes are all fantastic. Um, so, so many good ones. So many good ones. One of the greatest shows of all time. Yep. Uh, when is Lamar going to sign his contract? When will Lamar sign his long-term contract extension? How long do you think it is until Raven signed Lamar Jackson to a long-term deal? Uh, quite a few of those. What do you think the price is for Lamar? How long? All of those things. I don't know. I saw that PFF Brad, Brad Spielberger, friend of the show, uh, had Kyler Murray in the area of six years, 280 million with a hundred and like 15 guaranteed. I think that would be a nice deal to throw at Lamar in that ballpark. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's just at this point, it's like not even weird anymore. It just is what it is. And whatever's happening is happening. And we don't really know about it too much, but I think uh, six, six years, 280 million. I, I think that sounds, I think that sounds like that would be a good going rate. And I feel like that feels pretty similar to Josh Allen's contract as well. So uh, somewhere, somewhere in that department. And when does he sign it? I don't know. I don't know if he will. Who? I have no idea what's going to happen in general. It definitely feels like there's been more of an optimistic front in that whole situation. The last like two weeks secretly. Yeah. And it feels like they've both been, both parties have been kind of saying like, yeah, there's a little bit more stuff going on than, than we've been hinting at recently. It sounds like there, there's maybe been some, uh, a little bit of a, you know, potentially a Yalta situation where they're all the, you know, warring tribes are meeting to work things out. It feels like hopefully we're getting to that point. I have literally no idea, no inside info when that's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like the precedent set. Like we've been fucking saying the Josh Allen contract for over a year at this point, And the, it's fluctuated to Sean Watson signs this deal. And then you got Kyler Murray. What's the precedent? What's the, it's, it's Josh Allen is the precedent. All right. He's basically at the same skill level. They're from the same draft class. Let's just use that. And then we'll, you know, give him a little bit more it if he wants to, it. It's a year later. So it needs to be an extra, you know, 4% or 8%, whatever. And Adjusted then, for inflation. Yeah. Inflation's in a much different spot than it was last year. And we got to make sure Lamar is able to, you know, pay the, pay the milk bill. So. 1% was the maximum inflation. So yeah. there you go. Throw, throw an extra 15, 20 mil, whatever it is on there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's what he wants. We don't know what he wants. That's kind of the, the, the mystery goose here. Um, very curious. And, you know, it's, again, I, I've had a little string of tweets about it, but Deshaun Watson's contract is such an outlier relative to the history of football. Really only Kirk Cousins has gotten anything like super similar to that recently, especially in the quarterback market. Having that fully guaranteed deal is potentially a, a stepping stone for the players and a stepping stone at a point in the NFL where like the historic landscape of the league changes because that is a giant domino effect. If the Cardinals sign Kyler Murray to let's say a $260 million fully guaranteed deal, or the Ravens do something similar slightly up to Sean Watson's contract, that means that all of the other quarterbacks in those realms of paydays are going to get fully guaranteed deals, which then in turn means, oh, the corners are going to want those eventually. The edge rushers are going to want those. The Aaron Donalds, the, you know, Devontae Adams type players are going to want those. And 15 years from now, every, the next collective bargaining agreement, I think is like later this decade. And they're going to want fully guaranteed deals 15 years from now. Every contract is fully guaranteed in the NFL, just like in baseball, things like that. That's what the players ultimately want. And I think the owners are going to push very hard against that. And it's it's a little bit of a weird situation. And I feel like the Ravens and the Cardinals might be playing a little bit of chicken because of that Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, obviously, the Cardinals have more time, but the Ravens still have you know a franchise tag, which obviously can 
sour the relationship, all those things. But in terms of cards they have left to play, they, they still don't have to make a move, you know, this year in terms of 2022. They could work it out next offseason, potentially, who knows? So I, I don't know. I, I find this entire situation between essentially the post-Watson, Murray, and Lamar contract situations to be really interesting and potentially revolutionary in the league. Yeah, definitely. feels like we're at a bit of an inflection point after Watson, what the next domino falling uh, is going to be like. feels like it's maybe going to set a little bit of a precedent uh, because Watson itself wasn't going to set that precedent, but whatever follows it maybe is. So they're in a very, very unique, influential position here as are uh, the Cardinals with Steve Kime. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's we've been, Every single time we talk about this for the last two years at this point, we'll see what happens is what we close it out with. Pretty much. Pretty much. Ryan J. Laurie, what is the best thing about Maryland in summer and what is the worst? Hashtag hot boy summer. I'm going to go with this can be one answer, but also too, when the Orioles suck, summer is not nearly as good as it could be. Like having the Orioles be competitive again, I didn't want, I'll be, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a ton of baseball in 2019. And 2018, really not a ton, especially Orioles baseball. Last year, Cedric Mullins got me going. Having them actually be competitive gives me something to look forward to most of the the weekdays in the evening. And it is just incredible. I somewhat forgot what it feels like to have that in my life. And I feel like a little boy again. I'm having so much joy from the Orioles. When the Orioles suck, Maryland summer sucks. When the Orioles are great, Maryland summer is also great. uh, If you're an Orioles fan. Yeah, I think there's just a good food and social scene too. You know, there's, you know, good golf, there's good beer, there's crabs, there's, Crab, of course. You know, yeah, there's snowballs. Just, you know, it's just a, it's, they, they don't call it the land of pleasant living for nothing, Ryan. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. For sure. And I like, I kind of like the humidity. I like the little fog we get here uh, in these summer months. I love the heat. I like to get a little sweat going, get a little sun going, all those good things. Maryland's a beautiful state in the summer, so lush, so green as opposed to many other places in the country love that love all that good stuff and seafood yeah just seafood seafood maryland sand vibes are immaculate get down the ocean you know just you know maybe maybe have a a couple too many drinks down there just it's you know it's you got a lot of options Secrets is probably one of the best things in maryland during the summer you can go to secrets you can go to deep creek if you're looking for a different flavor it's just a you know biodiversity very just a lot to offer i like it i i'm i've been enjoying maryland summer a little bit here myself i look forward to it every year uh moving on lamar 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 what is the status of marcus peters is rehab going well and will he be ready for the season asked c webs 22 another guy coming off an acl but for whatever reason it feels like he's like fine i don't know why i guess it's because he's been doing media rounds kind of and i think he's just generally been saying like yeah i'm good i'm gonna be good to go feel pretty good got a little bit to go feel pretty good so i don't know i i feel like the there haven't been a ton of rumblings on that and he has been fully confident. Seems like he's been enjoying himself very much. Was spotted at Camden Yards alone watching an Orioles game. What an absurd like, picture. It was awesome. That was a great picture. He was like, I'm just, fuck it. I'm just going to go relax. He probably, I don't know. He might live downtownish area. Who knows? But um, he, I know Marlon does now, but <laughs> that was just an incredible picture. Love that. And that makes me think that he's good to go. I don't know why, but it just does. Yeah, I think uh, the... I'm, I'm a no news is good news guy in pretty much everything. And we just, we haven't heard a peep on him, which I think is fine. I mean, it's been all, you know, coming up on a year at this point. Um, and he had an Achilles, which I don't know the exact timeline on that, but it feels like he'll Achilles, not ACL. 
it was Achilles or it, it might. Achilles. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it was Achilles. I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean, sounds like, you know, we're right in the wheelhouse for him to come back early in the year. So very excited to watch my guy, Marcus. 100%. Giggles hard asked any interesting way too early draft prospects for the Ravens for next year, man. Um, I don't know. DJ Ugalele in the fourth round, my boy. Hmm. Like that. Um, Jalen Carter, Georgia, could be a top five pick though. But I thought, you know, Jordan Davis might might have been that pick. That was my my strong hunch for quite some time. Howie Roseman thought the same thing, didn't end up happening. Jalen Carter is a much more nimble pass rusher in some ways than uh than JD. So that's that's kind of my guy. BJ Ojolari, another one who is Aziz's brother in L- at LSU. Probably going to be a top 15-ish pick, top 20 pick, uh, depending. And then if you're not hip at this point, I don't know where you've been, but just generally, please take this college football season to enjoy Will Anderson, who I think truly will turn in one of the greatest modern, like since 20, let's say since 2010 seasons in college football. He is, I think, going to be the highest rated prospect I've ever graded. I think he is maybe the best player I've ever watched. He is awesome. Yuri here in the comments too, Rakim Jarrett. And Dante Demas, the Maryland couple, boys. Couple terps in there, yeah. One of them will go at least in the in the second round. That's my bold prediction, if that's even that bold. One of those boys will go at least second round. Demas was so nasty last year before his injury. Uh, so, so there's a few there. Maybe a little a uh, little Talia Tagabailoa is a, a Vernon Adams situation. Maybe there is a, a late ad. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really not that plugged in this year draft wise. You mentioned uh, you know all the guys that I've basically know. I I know the Maryland guys, but outside of that, I I got to start studying up a little bit. Joey Porter Jr., Penn State corner. Joey J- J- Jerry Porter Jr. Shout out to Pac Man Jones. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, moving moving on. T loading twenty four X factors for both sides of the ball, defense and offense. X factor. I'm gonna go Pat Queen. I think that if Pat Queen plays the way he played in week one and the way he played in the second half and, and somewhere, somewhere between that second half of the season and week one, week one, he was so damn good. If he plays really well, which I think he's going to and have for so long, I will ride this train until I die. Hashtag Pat Queen is good. Then I think this is a f- sick defense. I think this is a very, very, very sick defense. You have awesome safeties no matter what happens pretty much. You know, we'll see what happens in the cornerback room. A little, a little funky there. Um, there's a lot of question marks in the edge department. You know, obviously you could look at Adafi Owe as the X factor or whoever else, but those guys, man, um, really all turn up. I think if Patrick Queen plays the way he's capable of, and I feel like he's primed to this defense from everyone smarter than me, Deontay Lee at the Athletic, formerly of PFF, one of the smartest defensive minds I've read in the last few years, is very confident McDonald's defense is gonna. Simplify things for him a little bit. It's been a tough defense for younger players to uh, to come in and play middle linebacker in and under Wink Martindale's time, and uh, I think it's it's time, man. So that's that's my guy. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna maybe do two little unexpected ones. I'm gonna go Kyle Hamilton and uh, Tyler Linderbaum, two first round rookies that are both slotted to start right now, probably. And uh, EDC, it's time to start hitting on these draft picks, man. You're my guy, but like it, we need a, a rookie to come in here and have a, a Pro Bowl season and really sort of galvanize the team and the rest of that way. It feels like when you have a, a really good rookie, it can galvanize things a little bit. And I'm counting on both those guys uh, flashing a little bit. And uh, particularly I'm looking at Hamilton, but I think Linderbaum 
if we see some things from him too, that's going to be absolutely huge. So X factors. Cause they, they both, like I said, probably going to be playing significant ball this season. I think Hamilton's going to be good, man. He, uh, he just, I don't know. I've listened to his podcast a couple of times. I've, I've just been feeling that kid's aura out as he eases into being a pro. And, and again, the, the Ken Griffey Jr. thing, he just has that it factor about him. He does. He's, he's got a little like Marlon Humphrey on Xanax situation going on, which is a really good thing. He's on that He's on that sertraline. Um, definitely. And 14 aesthetically on him is pearls. Awesome number. Shocked if he ever changes that. 14 is sick. Saw one of my buddies got one of his jerseys. I was like, damn, I thought about it for the first time. I was like, yep, he looks right. He's going to play right. Uh, taking away tight ends, doing all that stuff. If he can do that, he's going to be 100%. Offensively for me, let's go. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Morgan Moses. I'm going to go Morgan Moses here. I think he's a little bit of an X factor. If he turns out a top 15, top 10 right tackle performance, which he has done so many times, if he is just a steady, veteran, healthy presence, which is why they brought him in. Next to him, you got Kevin Zeitler, another steady veteran presence. That ripple effect into Linderbaum will pick him up. If Linderbaum's okay, if you get good play out of that left guard situation, then then suddenly, you know, that entire side of your line's all right. And, you know, the worst case scenario here is probably that McCary ends up having to play some left tackle, which I don't know. Ronnie Stanley's doing, putting in that work. Looks like of any kind of rehabbing player that had a super su- substantial injury, We've seen him on me on social media, at least putting in some serious work. So uh, I think Moses can really set things off with a good year and give Lamar Jackson, maybe the best, like best line in terms of weak point, not being there. Skura, a guy that was enhanced by Yonda Bozeman was like a learning guard that couldn't drive people out. Those two weren't particularly, you know, physically imposing. Uh, so maybe this might be the time where he has the lowest low man, so to speak on his offensive line. So, so that's my answer pump for him to come in as well as my boy, Daniel Falele learning behind him. going to see some jumbo, going to see some elephant Cortruba. What do we envision the final number of tight ends making the 53 to any and who gets cut? Well, they signed Ricard and we're, we'll, we'll lump him in there into just this, this pot, this uh, shrimp pot. So Ricard likely in Kohler, have to be on there. Andrews has to be on there. Boyle has to be on there. It's five. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's I, it. I don't, I don't know that you can not proceed with any of those guys. They're not going to cut Nick Boyle. They'll, I mean, it's five, but they'll say it's four. They'll call Ricardo fullback. Ricard's a running back. Um, he goes in the running back position group, but yeah, that's five. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's time we've, gr- we've grown from, uh, from the three headed monster I guess, the, no, excuse me. It was the four horsemen of the apocalypse in 2019 to, you know, we'll, uh, the five slam pajamas. We got five of those bad boys that can move around, do different things. You know, what you can do with Kohler and Andrews and likely in the receiving game, what you can do with Andrews and Boyle and Ricard in the blocking game and interchangeably a little bit. So is a lot of options, a lot of looks, a lot of different things. So I think they keep five and I guess that makes Josh Oliver, the odd man out and, Looked really great last year in the offseason. Made a couple catches in the regular season. A couple. But just, you know, tough tough sledding for him. And don't see them keeping six. Yeah, for sure. What else we got in here? Glassy Fresh. Who is the most disrespected Raven by the national media this offseason? I mean, 
disrespected. If you want to go underlooked, it might be different, but disrespected is always going to be Lamar. He's just always, always getting some of that hate somewhere for no reason. Um, any way, shape or form. Let's go most underrated. I'm going to go with Dafe Owe. I think he had a really, really nice rookie year. He's somewhat healthy. He did have to have that shoulder surgery, but he's, he's good to go. And I don't know, man, he was a damn good rookie kid ran four threes comes in really good against the run really, you know, able to flash as a pass rusher, obviously needed to, to get jacked up a little more. Um, so I think he's the one that is getting overlooked as someone that could go into a stratosphere of, you know, really good edge defenders, 10 sack guy, all of those things. And, and it feels like there's just not a ton of buzz. His name floats around here and there, but uh, you know, him, I would, I would also go Marcus Williams, but those are, those are my answers. Yeah. I mean, those, those are two very good ones. I mean, if he can, we keep throwing this 80% number out. If he can play at 90% of the level that he used to be, then Ronnie Stanley is being kind of forgotten about. He, and that's the thing ESPN did the, you know, the top 10 players, executives, coaches poll that they do positionally. He's on there. Hasn't played in a year, you know, since what week seven of 2020 and is on that list firmly. Um, I think it was like six or eight or something like that. So you know, the what was truly one of the most clean pass protectors in the last decade for about two seasons. The lack of wasted movement, his ability to to fight off guys like Miles, like he was dominating Miles Garrett on an island a lot. So yeah, exactly. Ninety percent is is still probably a if not borderline than all pro player. So love that one too. And uh, let's see what else. What, anything else juicy on here? How long till Roman gets fired? The first time the Ravens have a four-game losing streak, that's my guess. If the whenever you can, I'm, I'm going to go with three. Actually, if the Ravens have a three-game losing streak this year or next year, while Greg Roman starts the season, that is when he will get fired. That is what I'm going to say. I believe that's what happened with Trestman uh, in 2016. I think they lost three or four in a row. The game against the uh, the R words at home was the one that lost him. Uh, his job there, I think it dropped them to 500 after they had like a three and O start. They were like four and four. They got rid of him. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And especially with all the heat on him and the fact that like we talk about this offense being built for Lamar Jackson's skill set, this is built perfectly for Greg Roman's scheme. So if he can't succeed with this, then yeah, it might be time to, uh, they're healthy. If they've got one of those two backs, they've got all these tight ends. You know, if Bateman's healthy, somebody plays okay aside from from Bateman, and they go or they go get someone else. That, that and you're not performing at a pretty high level in terms of execution and in terms of being competitive, hundred percent. Yeah, and they if you're not, if not be worse than a top ten scoring team, and if the procedural shit has not been cleaned up by this point, if we're if we're still taking you know however long, like literally ten seconds to get the playoff lining up, if we're still having like these false starts and things of that nature, like. Time to clean all that shit up, Greg. Let's let's emphasize that big time. I think, you know, at the, and at this point, James, it has to be James Urban they go to if an in-season firing is to happen. He's been here a long time. He has been an NFL coach a long time. He is Lamar's quarterback coach. Lamar has always spoken very highly of him. Have to think that James is probably one of the, you know, uh, the, the favorite people of Lamar in the organization for him to still be here. He's the one that brought Adam to in and eased him in for Lamar and got Lamar to kind of be a little bit more open to some small upgrades in his mechanics and things like that. So feels like he trusts him a ton. And if, if that, if this room, you said it perfectly, Roman has pretty much all the pieces. Like he doesn't have Jonathan Taylor healthy at running back right now, maybe, but you know, probably going to get a, one of those two backs back. You have an all pro tight end. 
if Ronnie Stanley comes back and let's say plays at that 80% we always talk about, you really don't have excuses. And by the way, you have the best running quarterback in the history of the NFL who is also really good at ball fakes, option fakes, orchestrating motion, timing, you know, getting the snap secured, all of those things. So uh, well said. If, if I think three games the offense is sputtering out, they're not scoring over 30 points uh, a, a, um, a game, you know, in those three losses, then, yeah, I think absolutely Greg Roman's gone. And I, I would be looking to James Urban to step in. And that could be the case next year, even regardless. So uh, very curious there. Joe Boken, Ninja JC asked, any away game trips for the podcast, lads? I'm hoping to go to both New York games, week one and week five. I'm also hoping to go to at least New Orleans, if not New Orleans and Tampa. They're four, those games are four days apart, and I, I might might take a little time off in the mid-fall and uh, try and double up on those two games. That would be sick. Yeah, I've got an open invite to the Giants game, so I'm probably going to do that because all I have to do is hop on a train, um, and that will be that will be fun to get up there. I was actually just in New York last week for Dead and Company, so you know I, I love New York. I, I like getting up there when I can. Uh, and then another standing invite to Jacksonville with Eric and the boys. I might go ahead and do that because it feels like it could be a win depending on how they start out, and that's a primo opportunity to uh, pack up the golf clubs and uh, go enjoy a nice weekend in the warm weather. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's about it for the old IG. A um, couple things. Someone asked, with our bountiful DBs and safeties, could we move Harrison to an Upshaw role? Yes, we've talked about that on here. He did that as a rookie quite a bit, and it feels like that's a good way to use him. Defense might change a touch with Mike McDonald, but yeah. Uh, I think that about does it. Dude, and we had some from Twitter as well. Is Michael Pierce back at practice? Uh, I think he missed all of the mini camps. Excuse me. I think he did return towards the end or something like that, but I think he's good to go. He had some sort of personal issue going on. I don't know. We didn't hear about that. So we'll see. I, th I think, yes, I think he's good. I think he is too. Uh, want to go to Twitter? Yeah. First one is from, uh, uh, writer of the site, Zeej, uh, grade the Orioles draft. Think holiday is awesome and can be to the majors faster than anybody we thought they were going to pick. A lot of lefty dinger hitters and some really interesting pictures late in the draft. I think we could see DL sometime in August once that walk rate is down. Um, I mean, grading the draft, like I, I am like the farthest thing from like having any idea what I'm talking about when it comes to the MLB draft, especially it was like some of these high schoolers they're getting. Um, and I'm really not watching a ton of college baseball. So, I mean, holiday, like the swing is sick. He reminds me of his dad in some ways. And I think that's really cool. Um, Got to bulk up. Like uh, he's, he looks like he's twelve years old. A lot of people made that point, and, and I, I love it, that about him, though. No, I did. Feels like he was that good at that stature, and, and he is feeling, apparently, apparently he's up to like one seventy five, one eighty now. And he is he's like, six, yeah, and he is he is six one. He's got his dad's jeans, jeans in him. He's got a good frame. So if he just bulks up a little bit, I think he'll be fine. And then like the point about him getting to the majors quickly. I mean, he's one of these high schoolers. So, I mean, if he's in the majors in his early twenties, that's big. Like Adley's in his mid twenties right now. So that would be huge. Didn't really pay a ton of attention to the rest of their picks. So maybe you could break some of those guys down for me. I do like that. They did finally opt for some pitching depth. That's been maybe one of the main concerns with Elias so far is that he hasn't, and maybe the plan is to invest in pitching and free agency at some point. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't really grade it, but I, you know, I thought I was, pleased with it. I was really expecting Tamar Johnson to be the pick there instead of holiday, but I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I didn't really look into Jackson holiday too, too much. I really thought it was going to be, you know, one of those top two guys, but Hey, I mean, 
the the comps to Jackson Holiday are Bobby Witt, and the comps to to Beavers are Christian Yelich. Then mm. they go get the ACC Player of the Year, and like you said, you know they really stocked out their entire farm system. I think of their last like ten picks, I think they took like at least seven pitchers. So I, I'm a big fan of what they've been doing in terms of college bats, and they went and got those after Holiday. You know, you go get Beavers, you go get Wagner, you go get Fabian, you go get McLean. They got a bunch of mashers, basically, that strike out a bunch. If one of them can refine it and be a – those guys have the potential to be 30-plus home run guys. So um, those are all really fun. I thought the catcher out of Texas, uh, I think it was like Arden. He, Ardoin, uh, Ardoin, yeah. Yeah, he seemed like he was a, a really, really, really good defensive catcher. From what I saw, his pop times were ridiculous. Other than that, I, I don't know, you know, much of these other guys all the way through, but um, – I, I like the idea of what they did in terms of early round investment in bats and continuing to get those college hitters. They love barrel rate. That is Mike Elias's crack cocaine. He loves barrel rate. Like that is his shit. My, Ryan Mountcastle is barrel rate, like all of those things. So I like that strategy. I like to keep filling it out. I like how strong they are organizationally up the middle. I hate when people are like, Oh, short, they have too many shortstops. Shortstop is the most athletic, def- like the best defender on your team is a shortstop. It's like catcher, short, center field. Like those are the best athletes. They can go play second. They can go play third. Like if you're a decent, if you're a 50 shortstop, you know, college or 55 shortstop in the field, those kinds of things, you can probably go play a lot of other positions. First base easily. I think Mountcastle was a shortstop when he came in. Um, So I I like that. A GM's wet dream as a, a baseball GM, it feels like is being strong up the middle. Like you can figure the rest out defensively, you know, all those things. But if you've got a great, Middle infield, great center fielder. You're going to be in a good spot defensively. So I, I like all of those things very much. And I'm just pumped, man. This is incredible. DL Hall, my bold prediction is just, it's not bold, but I think he has one more start in Norfolk just to get him right again after the the all-star break. And then I think they, they call him up. So I think second start post-all-star break for, for DL Hall is, is in Baltimore. Yeah, I was talking to RDT about that. And he said, um, I mean, we were talking about it and... <laughs> He was like, I mean, I would do it like literally right now. And I was kind of in agreement with him. But he said that he'd heard uh, some some chirps from some, uh, you know, relatively well, well connected people that were like, we just we have no idea. And it might be a while just knowing Mike uh, a little bit behind the scenes. So who knows? Uh, I, I I'm I would do this Saturday against the Yankees. Do what you got to do to get him up for that uh, and have that be his. I wonder if, like I wonder if part of it is like, in a sense, if if the trade deadline's looming and like, they're not going to, you know, refuse to ever trade DL hall. You know, they might be keeping him, keeping him in the minors. I don't know if calling him up would like impact that in any way for some reason. Of like it would be, it would be him. really weird to call him up and then just immediately trade him. Yeah. So maybe it has to be post like deadline, just if they want to keep their options open. And it, from what Michael Elias has said outwardly, they are buyers and sellers. They are open for business they just want to talk and see what what offers come up. So um, I think keeping Hall down there would make sense in that sense, maybe. But we'll see. Uh, Christian, at this point, do we think the Ravens are content with their wide receiver core? Really was hoping we'd make an addition, but it doesn't feel like the team feels the same way. Uh, I'm with you in that I feel like it feels like they're just going to roll with these guys. Uh, and if it were me personally, I would not do that. It, it just feels like this organization just cannot get out of its own way with this position group. It cannot stop every few years convincing itself that like, we like our guys, we're fine here. And then 
who knows what happens. Maybe let's say Rashad Bateman gets hurt a couple weeks into the season and you are F U C K fucked. Like it just, (laughs) you got to make a move. And I feel like they're not going to, that's sort of my one negative vibe that I have with the team right now. That's kind of concerning me a little bit. Yeah. um, It's like you said, it's just been a weird position for them for as long as they've been a franchise. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think they feel content. I think they feel disrespected and all of that classic crap, but I don't think they feel bad. They definitely don't feel as bad. And Isaiah likely Charlie Kohler, like weren't mistakes in terms of investment. They definitely view market inefficiencies at wide receiver position in terms of paying them. Like when was the last time they paid a wide receiver, big money, Steve, Steve Smith. Um, I mean, yeah, that was a three-year deal. I don't think he got like huge money. He didn't get no money, but when was the last time they paid that a was, receiver? That, that was the last, I think that literally might've been the last like, mul- like multi-year. I think that might've been the last like multi-year in free, like free agency, free agency deal they did for a wide receiver with Steve Smith. I'm pretty sure. Mike, I mean, I think Mike Watts got like maybe two years, 19 mil, something like that. Yeah. And I think he was like a second wave guy, right? Yeah. And he wasn't like, you know, it, what, that wasn't a big investment that, or not investment. That wasn't a big spend. So I think they truly just feel we have an offense that doesn't rely on receivers as much as others do. So why are we going to pay one above like above performance level? You When you pay a free agent or make a trade and do an extension, you pay more than that player gives you in pay. And in an offense where you're already starting behind in that position, I don't think they see the value Right I, I I totally agree with all that. I'm not even calling out the strategy at large. I just think in this situation, like it feels to me for some reason, like they're not going to make a move. And it just feels like there's a couple moves out there that are just layups. Like you could sign Will Fuller, you could sign Julio, just do it. Like just sign one of these guys. And I just feel like they're not going to do it. And like, it's going to cost them. Probably. It probably will. Um, they, they stick to their guns on that one. I feel like people always misinterpret me saying those things. Like I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's what they do. So, you know, in certain terms of expectations, um, I feel like that's where they're at. You know, all right, we got rid of Hollywood. Again, the wool was over our eyes. We paired Bateman and Hollywood and Andrews together in our minds for three, four, five seasons. And it was Bateman being the replacement for Hollywood in reality. If they know, if they knew a while ago, hey, we're not going to sign Hollywood and decided to draft Bateman with their first first pick, um, make sure he was the one that wasn't taken instead of Odafe, then... I thought that that speaks volumes. So it also speaks volumes. I think what they're expecting out of Bateman and hoping he can be for a low level of pay. And if he can give you, you know, some level of pro bowl level play, then like, it's not like Aaron Rodgers has better than that. You know, he had Devonte Adams and some good backs and what else? So um, not that they won the Super Bowl or anything, but I don't know. That's just where they're at. And I would be surprised. I don't know. I'd be very surprised. Terry McLaurin got paid so much money. And he would have been perfect in this offense. And he's still got so much money. So in Greg Roman's offense, no, I don't think they they make a move. Um, a vet, you know, it, it, I just find it funny because I think Sammy Watkins would have been perfect to bring back. Like if they had Sammy Watkins again for a couple mil, it's fine. Rounds out the room. You're a little deep, but he's injured. So is Julio Jones. So is Will Fuller. All those guys always hurt. That's why they're always lingering and getting one-year deals and all of those things. So I don't, I don't know. We've, we've talked into the 50th ring of hell about wide receivers on this show and, and everything else. So it is what it is. Yep. Hey, we'll see what happens, right? Um, 
dark coach poppy where does spenny get his shades from shades i got i got a few shades next to me um let's see what do we got i'm a big beat shop guy i got these these are Creedum. Creedum. rocking them on the on the if you're looking at the live I'm a big tortoise shell guy mm. these are like 35 bucks polarized um i've lost a couple pairs as as happens i got these douche nozzles from shady rays got the the spenny powers mm, there you go Ray, the blades with a little sass these are like some some oakley uh ones that Mahomes always wears, but much cheaper and they'll re replace them. And then I got these fuckboy Neos is what I like to call them. And uh, these are Velo from Sun and Ski. And these things are badass. They're like, I don't know, futuristic fuckboy. That's that's the best way to put it. I'm sensing wow. a, a theme here. Futuristic fuckboy? Uh, just fuckboy. You've mentioned the word like fuckboy and douche nozzle with like all of them, uh, which is, that's yeah. great. Uh, you know, I, I, like just, I like ignorant sunglasses very much. So I'm a big beach shop, surf shop, sunglass guy. None of these were, the, I think the most expensive was $69, actually $69, uh, which was the, the fuckboy Neos from Sun and Ski, who also will replace any of your sunglasses if you lose them. So nice. there's, there's some free ads for them. So. Those are my shades, man. I like Oakley a lot. They've, they've fallen off a little bit, but I still like Oakley a lot. I, I don't. I don't think. I think they're coming back. They got Mahomes. They got Lamar. They already came back, and I had a pair that were nasty, and they don't make them anymore. I lost them at a wedding drunkenly. Mm. No, I don't hate to hate to hear it. Hate to hear it. But yeah, I think uh, I think every man should own a pair of aviators, uh, and then I've got uh, just a, a little basic black. Ray-Ban Panama Jack pair, which is really my go-to. I haven't lost them in forever. Uh, so, yeah, I'm liking those at the moment. Um, I would also say, um, actually, I completely lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, next question from Stuart. What's your favorite memory or story from attending Ravens training camp? So I, I don't think I've even been to a practice without you there. My favorite memory is standing next to Trace Unitas' dad for a <laughs> long time. And uh, we both went up onto a hill where we could eagle eye it the best of our ability. And I've, I slowly started to put together what he was reacting to. And I remembered that his dad was a very jack guy. And I remember him saying how his dad has not worked, has not missed a day lifting weights or like working out in like 15 years. Apparently three, 365 days a year, he does some sort of weightlifting or something. He is, he looks like Johnny Sins. He is like riddled vascularly, very bald, very jacked. And uh, he was standing there and he was like, ah, like Trace made a bad throw or something. And I, I didn't say anything. I usually don't say anything to anybody like in terms of like someone's parent or like a celebrity or anything. But eventually I was like, I was like, I was like, how many practices do you think in your life you've watched of his? Like how many, like what, what number do you think practice this is you've watched? And he was like, shit, man. Uh, I don't know. 1500. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> that was my favorite memory. I don't know why, but it was just cool. I was just watching his dad, me and him were standing there and just watching him react to trace and camp, like, you know, late round rookie Penn state kid who had a ton of, you know, name value, all those things, you know, having fun, getting a lot of reps and his dad reacting and, and chatting him for a second was, was really fun. And then the, uh, the first, my other is the time I got to meet Kyle Andrews in person for the first time. And talk about some Baltimore stuff with him. Former Baltimore beatdown guy, former Baltimore Sun guy, current, what is it? He Penn covers State. Penn State for their paper. Penn State, recently engaged, so shout out to him. Recently engaged. Congrats, Kyle. We love you. Yeah, we do. Wow. Um, yeah, that's great. I think for me, um, it probably would be two with you, actually. One would be at the, at the facility 
just kind of people watching. Like we saw Peter King walk by and we were both too pussy to like make fun of him. So he just said, hi, Peter, big fan. And then uh, seeing RG3, seeing Greta, uh, just like fully just pregnant. Wives are always cool to see. Yeah, she was like like a famous wife. She was big pregnant. Like that was she was ready to bust. And that that was great. Uh, So great to see her. Um, Yeah, that that was fun. Adam Schefter walked by me once and then Rappaport walked by me like 30 seconds later. And Rappaport was wearing like a a leather bape backpack. It was so mind blowing. (laughs) He's 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 low key, like really flashy. Like I, yes, rap he's, he's very flashy in, a, I don't know if he's of the chosen faith, but in a very J-O-O way coming from one, he is very flashy in that sense. Mm. Like his shirts are expensive. His watches are the standard, like big steel watches, gels his hair every day. Definitely wears like $500 pairs of shoes. Um, I know he loves, what is the one with the star on them? It's erasing my brain. The ones are like $600 sneakers and have a star emblem on It's them funny because like I remember he did the, uh, he was on the, barstool van at the super bowl like seven years ago at this point like when they were kind of just starting out not really like just starting out but like they were at the the san francisco super bowl and he like sat in on the bus with them and i remember they were like busting his balls about his wardrobe and how he was wearing like joseph a bank suits and stuff that's that's funny you say that maybe he's come a long way since then he uh he certainly has i mean he's he's big balling now these days it's on pat mcafee doesn't doesn't get any bigger than that but Mm. those have all been fun like player wise um Definitely Rashad Bateman at the stadium last year toasting Marlon Humphrey. That one was a lot of fun. My, the summer of Boykin was fucking sick. Well, speaking about Boy- speaking about Shefty, how about that summer when we were at the stadium practice together and you tweeted out the uh, video of RG3 breaking his finger and then Shefty picked it up. He scooped you. I uh, I had the scoop on RG3 hit it, breaking his finger. I posted a video of him hitting his helmet on or hitting his hand on Tim Williams' helmet, you know, Miss you, Tim Williams. Love you. Unfollowed you on Instagram, but I kind of might want to follow you again. He's, anyway, he's, he's a wild follow. And then Shefty, yeah, Shefty, like he tweeted out the video like of our voices in the background when that happens. Like that, that was pretty wild. Like we didn't we didn't get any residual burn off that for the podcast. That was in, that was our early, that was like season one. Yeah, that was that was that, literally that was like month one of this podcast. I think. Yeah, that was like our second or third month. We barely knew each other at the time. We just went to a stadium practice together. It was a great bonding experience. It was. It certainly was. Um, I don't know. Whenever people, it's always cool. You know, we're not big time guys at all. But, you know, last year, I think like probably maybe total and to maximum, I would say 16 people came up to me last year at training camp. They're like, what's up? Are you Spencer Schultz? Like, what's up, man? I love the podcast. All that stuff's always fun. Very, very surreal in in any level when someone is is a listener. Always love that shit. Um very fun. But summer of Boykin was fantastic. Really just that 2019 training camp in general was, was definitely the best because they were the, the dark horse that everybody was curious about. Lamar, you know, ran this half version of their offense for a few weeks, got him to the playoffs. He's going to get all the starter reps in camp year two. Like the buzz was all there. Everybody was curious about what they were going to be. The, the quality of those practices was very high and crisp um, for sure. In, in comparison it just felt like they had so much talent. They were very healthy. They had a lot of veteran leadership and a lot of guys that were working really hard too. So that one was a ton of fun. And that was the summer of Boykin where he was literally somewhere between Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson in practice. Like I remember watching him hawk one-handed catches in like live 11 on 11 over Jimmy Smith in the middle of the field, like running a post and making one-handed catches, full contact, all that stuff was, was very fun. James Prochet last summer was very fun too. He was awesome in camp last year. 
Uh, Joe in WTX, what do you think of the Orlando Brown Jr. contract situation in Kansas City? Orlando Brown getting traded to the Chiefs, who uh, they didn't think this was the guy they were getting with Orlando Brown saying that uh, he is not going to accept their, uh, you know, pretty, pretty decent offer uh, to be a left tackle and uh, remain there for a while. Uh, it sounds like there's maybe some misgivings on both sides there. I'm, you know, I, I'm guessing a contract is going to get done at some point. Maybe it's all just posturing, but uh, kind of funny, honestly. I would like to say two things. Number one, Orlando Brown is a very good left tackle. He's good. He's a good left tackle. He's you. You can't really ask for too much better. It's a good left tackle. Number two, he is the least offensive lineman mentality personality demeanor of any offensive lineman. He is the Baba Black Sheep of offensive linemen in general. He is loud, and I don't think that is in a bad way at all. I love his personality. I love his leadership. He is loud. He is proud. He is flashy. He loves to wear that giant rabbit's foot. He loves all of that stuff. You know, he has always been a, a polarizing personality. He is not your run-of-the-mill offensive lineman. He's not some, you know, dude from the sticks in Mississippi or Georgia or somewhere that, you know, is like some, you know, some crazy country boy, country strong, didn't go to Iowa. wasn't, you know, a quiet reserve guy who liked to wrestle in high school and work and all those kinds of things. He is, he is a flashy boy. So um, that happening in Kansas city, it's not surprising, you know, it, and in hindsight, it's just kind of funny of like, Oh, I wanted to play left tackle. It wasn't about money. All of those things. Well, of course it's about money. Why wouldn't it be get, get as much money as you can in Orlando um, any dissension that he causes in Kansas City is is a bonus. So love that. Go to go tear them down. They were supposed to be the empire that would never fall for a thousand generations as soon as Mahomes won his first Super Bowl. So any sort of Trojan horse activity, you can do Orlando. Cause it. Cause a cause a ruckus. We love it. We love you, Orlando. Thank you. Yeah, it just it kind of it's really not that shocking. And it's funny, like the way that uh the way that it all played out where Literally right before all this shit went down when he was still in the Ravens, I had made a comment. It's just a very passing comment on the podcast that it, it's always a spectacle with Orlando Brown Jr. There's always some sort of drama. And I said it in a positive way at the time, uh, but it was just there's always something going on with him. And it just, you know, it's it's playing out right now for the Chiefs. And like I said, I think I think this is probably a little bit of posturing. I think something is going to get done here. But it just the fact that there is some buyer's remorse there doesn't totally shock me. It's uh, you know, he, yeah, it, it makes sense. He's he's oh, he's like a wide receiver playing left tackle. That's that's the only way I can put it. He was born a wide receiver and became a left tackle. Yeah, and I uh, think I, it just the whole idea of like that. You know, I I want to play left tackle because of like X, Y, and Z. It's like, dude, you wanted the money, and that's okay. Like, you wanted the money. It's fine. It's fine. There's no shame in that. I would want the money too. Yeah, I want as much money as I can get every day. So no, no. No dissimilarities there. Absolutely understand it. Yep. Uh, okay. Last one here. Uh, sorry for anyone I didn't get. We had a couple redundancies and uh, we're running over an hour here. So wanted to uh, push through to the end, but we had a fun one from uh, our guy Orioles Haiku. Uh, you have to pick someone from the Orioles to start every game for the Ravens this year. Who are you picking and what position are they playing? Also, they can never play for the Orioles again. I think the obvious, the very obvious one to Please me. Please tell I'm, me who you think the obvious answer is because I know mine is the most obvious. Actually, no, there's not an obvious answer. Okay. For me, it's Jorge Mateo. I'm putting him in the secondary. Very good. That was my second thought. Very good. Okay. So I'm going to go with him. Put him in the secondary. If he can't play again for the Orioles, that sucks because I like him, but they have all these prospects for the infield that they're going to be fine. Defensive mentality, 
unbelievable speed. I like putting him on the defensive side of the ball. Not, you know, as great of an offensive player. Completely understand. Pro- prodigious speed. Obviously, you, know, you can go look at, I think, uh, you can look at Austin Hayes a touch, a little light, maybe not. You know, Cedric Mullins, sure. Yeah, Adley Rushman, you know, played, kicked off or whatever. The obvious answer to me, to me, is Felix Bautista. Mm. Dude, fucking unit. What are you going to put him at, though? Outside linebacker. Outside DN. Calais Campbell and Felix Bautista manned up, five-tech, three-tech. Like, give me that. Felix Bautista is huge. Tight, tight, tight end, end probably. I don't, I don't know tight end. Maybe, maybe. But Felix Bautista is a unit. He is a unit. The largest man. The largest man. Makes Adley look like a baby. What a hilarious picture when Adley does his little, like, run up to the picture after every inning. When it's him and Bautista, it's, I, I, that's, I love that it's image. It's 6'2", 6'3", 230, and he makes you look like a child. I want that on my defensive line. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. He's yeah. He's another obvious one that I think he's the, he's the beefy boy. And then uh, Mateo is kind of the, your, First, your I, I didn't think thoroughly when I saw this one earlier on Twitter, I didn't think thoroughly. McKenna in like, yeah. the slot. Like Jorge Mateo. Yeah, that's fine. Like whatever, you know, Cedric Mullins, maybe, maybe Tyler Wells. He's tall. Maybe he can play some tight end a little bit. Um, all that stuff. And then I was like, Oh my God, Felix Bautista. Holy shit. Ryan McKenna in the slot was one that I saw too, which I liked. Um, and he's another guy, guy that you that's, can, a, that's a good one. You can expand a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's, those are all good ones. And, uh, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of athletes. Like I said, I think that, uh, they should strike a, a stadium naming partnership with college hunks. Cause they've just got, there's so much man meat on this team right now. They're, these guys are Watkins and Adley Rushman, the most, the most handsome Pitcher to catcher in baseball, baby. Yeah, those guys are those guys are weapons down there in the uh, the bar scene too. I, so. I feel like Austin Hayes played quarterback. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look on the wiki and see what I can see here. Mm. Nope, nothing, 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 nothing on Austin Hayes. I might. If you're listening to this, if you're a friend of Austin Hayes or everyone, just collectively tweet at Austin Hayes. Did you play quarterback in high school? Puts off big quarterback vibes. I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, we like that, and uh, that is all we have from the mailbag. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. So rookies are in camp right now, you know, sweating, fighting for their life. Been fun listening to uh, Studio 44. <laughs> Been some good content on there. Uh, Tony Jefferson went on Kyle Hamilton's podcast as well. There was some some good content on there as well. Been fun. I'm excited. Football's in the air. We're we're back, baby. Yeah, we are. We uh, you know, we're we're truly back in the saddle here. Before we know it, we're going to be recording 100% concrete two nights a week. And uh, that's uh, an exciting feeling. It's an anxiety-ridden feeling, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I am as well. Yep, before you know it, games will be here. Preseason games will be here. We'll be watching Kyle Hamilton. We will, we'll be watching Linderbaum. We'll be watching all these guys and uh, starting to starting to get the juices really, really, really going. So I'm pumped. We're fired up, and we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming after some, some leisure offseason, but I'm fired up. We hope you are too. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for all the great submissions. Uh, we'll talk to you again, if not later in this week, then early next. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be breaking down some practices or practice reports at the very least within like the next week, which is very exciting. It certainly is, my friend. So we'll we'll be hitting it. Kyle, I think we'll be hitting it hard. I don't know how hard I'm going to be able to hit it because they made him 130, which is tough for me. But a few times for sure. We will be at the, uh, I'll be at the stadium practice. I don't know about you, Jake, but I'll be going for sure. So we'll uh, maybe try and have a little meet up there or something and be, be cooking this year, cooking with gas, baby. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. See ya. Are you a dick?
Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Super Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that.